Welcome to Define You Radio, the place to be for real talk and real tips to help you define your personal and professional life. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin Wallace. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Being that I am a woman, women's health is a very important topic to me. Let's face it, we often put our health last. Um, According to the CDC, one in five women die from heart disease. In fact, it is the leading cause of death for women in the United States. So 90% of women have one or more risk factors for heart disease or stroke. Today, we're discussing heart health and more with a friend of mine for a couple of years, Dr. Carmen. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Let's go ahead and welcome Dr. Carmen to the show. Hey, Dr. Carmen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Valencia. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have this discussion with you today about heart health and and women because both of us are women. So (laughs) I can't wait. Let's talk. (laughs) Well, even though like I know you and and your resume, if you want to go ahead and tell the audience maybe a little bit about you so they can get familiar with your expertise. Oh, wow. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, located in Houston, Houston, Texas, but I'm originally from Puerto Rico. I'm a cardiologist. I have been here in Texas for the past 17 and a half years. And I did my training, my medical school training was in Puerto Rico, but my residency in internal medicine was at the University of Texas in Houston. And then I did a subspecialty training in cardiology, my fellowship, uh, the same at the University of Texas in Houston. So I would like to say that once I got here, I loved it and I didn't move out as I expected. And um, for the past, let me tell you, um, I graduated in 2008. So do the math, 12 years, I have been a cardiologist, solo cardiologist, um, because I like to be more autonomy. I have my autonomy and I like to be more one-on-one with the patients and I love it. Yay. Question. Yes. Why cardiology? You know, that's very interesting. When I was in college, I, first of all, I was always inclined to do science, medicine. That was always my interest in school. But when I was in college, I had the opportunity of taking a class that was called introduction to stress testing. And I had no idea what this was, but somebody told me, this is a great class. You'll learn about EKGs. And, you know, I was like, wow, fantastic. Let me take it. However, it was not just pen and paper. We had to go to the cardiac rehab lab. And there, they had patients who were after heart attacks. They were being treated and they were being rehabilitated. So I I used to see all these older people after heart attacks, after bypass surgery, who were walking on a treadmill, doing a rowing machine, lifting weights, people who for all my life, I thought that once you have a heart attack, well, you're downhill. No way. These people are being rehabilitated. Yes, they had their disease, but now we're trying to revert the problem and keeping people active and even healthier than they were before they had the heart attack. So I was captivated by it. As I went to medical school, I, you know, Cardiology was very easy for me. I guess it was just my main interest. And although I tried, you know, or I thought that I would do maybe surgery or maybe gynecology or maybe others, I was always attracted to the EKG, to the heart, to the cardiac imaging. So I ended up doing cardiology. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Could the average person, like I know with the stress test, they are trying to see like how much, um, stress your heart can handle, right? Yes. What we're trying to see in a stress test, um, first of all, there's very there's a lot of information we can get in there. We can get what's your baseline in terms of activity level and how much you're able to do, how deconditioned you are, because that's also another factor that we have to consider if someone is trying to either start an exercise program or determine their, their risk factor level. 
Um, we can also see the, have an idea of the circulation of the blood in the heart. Is this person going to have a heart attack in the near future? Probably. Or is this person actually having a heart attack right now? Because it's happened to me that we're in the, in the lab doing the stress test and I start seeing all these changes in the EKG where we have to stop and rush this person to the cath lab because they're basically having an event right there in our faces. So it's a very important test. Um, it can be used as a preventive measure, just to use, as, use it as a baseline, but also can let us know how, risk, how, how high is your risk and how are you recovering after an event. So it's a very complete test that um, when you use it well, gives us tons of information. Hmm. So question, because I want to specifically deal with, with women and their heart. What is, what exactly is heart disease? Okay. Heart disease is a, I would like to say it, a complex of conditions that involved mainly the narrowing or blockage of the blood vessels to lead uh, to the heart. Any blood vessels that are on top of the heart delivering the blood, supplying the blood to the heart, they may be affected with heart disease because of uh, a blockage or a narrowing, mainly due to high cholesterol plaque formation. Um, however, there are other types of heart disease that involve other areas of the heart, maybe the heart muscle or the valves. But when people are in general referring to heart disease, more commonly, they are referring to the blockages of the vessels that supply blood to the heart because when these occur, this uh, is the one that's going to lead more than likely to a heart attack. And that's when we see people having chest pain or having other symptoms. This is very related to strokes. It's also related to problems in the circulation of the limbs, of the, the, the legs. Um, so it's connected to everything because all our systems are connected. But the, it's the main cause of death as, as well. Um, you mentioned it initially. It's the main cause of death. People think that, especially in women, oh, I'm going to worry about breast cancer. Well, you actually have to worry about heart disease because the main cause of death would be heart disease before any other type of cancer combined. Mm. Question. What's the difference between heart, dis heart disease and a stroke? Or does heart disease lead to a stroke? Like, are they cousins or sisters? Or what's the relationship there? They are related. If you have heart disease, you can have a stroke. That's the simplest way I can tell it to you. Because all the vessels in our bodies are, you know, depending on where you are, of course, they're situated in that system. However, they originate, if we think of the heart as a center, we're going to start seeing where the vessels um, start and, and where they end into the other organ systems. Um, if you have a narrowing or blockage cholesterol plaque in your heart, it is likely that you will have it also in your brain. So this is why we tell mm. people when, when we are assessing the risk, do you have high cholesterol? We want to know if they have high blood pressure, if they're diabetic, because even though the main cause of death will be heart disease, this also means that you have a higher risk of stroke. You have a higher risk of problems in the circulation of your legs, especially if you're a diabetic, because these vessels is likely that they will be affected as well. And I know we're not, we're mainly directing this conversation to women, but also in men, it's important to realize that when they present erectile dysfunction, mm. one of the main things you have to think of is their heart. So you have to check their heart to make sure there's not a blockage and they will not be having a high risk of having a heart attack or sudden cardiac death. So I hope you fellas out there taking notes. Don't go popping your best friend's Viagra. Go. <laughs> Go get it, get it checked to see what's the root cause. Do uh, women have a higher risk than men when it comes to heart disease? They have a higher risk. The answer is yes and no. And, and I'm going to uh, divide it into, into areas. First of all, before menopause, women mm -hmm. have a lower risk of having heart attacks and heart disease because the estrogens in our body, they protect 
our hearts from having a heart disease. However, after menopause, women's estrogen, we know they drop and their risk increases. The other problem that there is, is that women will not present with a heart attack as likely as men with chest pain. Men most likely will present with certain uh, chest pain in the center of the, in the, of the chest. They will say that they'll have either uh, a pressure on the chest or a squeezing sensation in the neck. That's called angina. In women, the symptoms are more atypical. Women present with something totally different many times and themselves cannot identify it as a heart attack. For example, they can say, I'm just tired all the time. I'm very short of breath. I'm not able to do my house chores as I used to do. And I take very close attention when they say that because sometimes it's like, oh, well, she's always doing her chores. I don't, she, of course she's tired. Yes, but if your level of activity changes, then we need to pay attention to that because it, I'm not going to wait until you're in bed, unable to move. I need to take, the, take care of this right now on time and let's roll it out. Like if this is not the heart, fantastic. But if it is, we want to take care of this way sooner. And many women present to either the doctor or the ER. And if the person there is not paying close attention or doesn't think of the risk factors, they may be sent home and then we pre- she may present later with a more complicated picture because uh, there was a delay in treatment. So women, yes... They have a higher risk in that sense. The problem is that we all have to be informed and we all need to be able to identify it. So besides being tired, are there any other symptoms that, you know, can help women kind of like, okay, it might be this, you know, any other symptoms present themselves in the case of heart disease? Absolutely. They may still present with chest pain, but what if they don't? And let's say they're not feeling tired, but they feel nauseated. You know, they may think that they have heartburn. They may feel that, well, I ate something and it didn't sit me well. Go get attention. They also may have dizziness. And sometimes women present with back pain. They think it's muscular, muscular pain, but they need to rest. Let's go get attention because you never know, Right. Um, I know of someone who had a significant uh, extensive heart attack and all she presented was dizziness and vertigo. Mm. So she thought, well, I'm just dizzy. Maybe it's the flu. Maybe it's, um, like I said, maybe I'm dehydrated. Maybe I ate something that, you know, didn't sit me well. And she ended up having triple vessel bypass surgery. Wow. And this was a young woman in her early 50s. So she's still young. What made her go to the doctor? Because I could see, you know, I could see me blowing something like that off. But what did, did she talk to you and you said, girl, go to the doctor? Or what made her go to the doctor versus brushing it off? In this particular case, she was lucky that her symptoms got so severe that she could not get up. She ended up actually lying on the floor at work. And her co-workers were like, okay, you don't need to move. This is not, not happening here. You know, something serious is happening. Don't move. We're going to get an ambulance. When the ambulance came, they saw what was happening. Of course, she was rushed to the hospital and she got intervention immediately. I like to say that she was lucky that her body gave her those signals because many times you may not have the symptoms or if you have those atypical symptoms, if you don't identify it or you don't suspect it, then we keep waiting and we get the complications and it could be fatal. Wow. Um, I'm probably going to go to the doctor right after this interview. (laughs) That's a good idea. It's always a good, just for prevention. You never know, right? (laughs) Yes. And you know, we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, But one, something I thought was interesting and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. The rates, according to the little CDC uh, map and out, of course, when I post this interview, guys, I will also post the link where you, or post the actual map. But in the South, the rates are so much higher for, for heart disease. Why do you think that is? You know, there is a complexity of reasons. It's not just one. Um, yes, related to the location, the geographical location, but it's on 
for now, it's understood that there's a mix of risk factors, including race, poverty level, access to healthcare. There's culture. Um, and as I mentioned, race, you know, we have a higher concentration of African-Americans and Hispanics. So the genetics of these populations also contribute. We know that in African-American population, high blood pressure is something um, that's common, a common problem leading to heart disease. So if we have people who have high blood pressure and they don't have access to healthcare or they do not believe that they need healthcare and they don't get, go get taken care of, this is going to be compo- compounding on their health. And eventually they may develop heart disease. The same with Hispanics. You know, Hispanic populations have a higher degree of uh, higher incidence of diabetes. So if we know that two generations ago, maybe their grandparents were diabetic and now their parents are diabetic, we have someone that has a higher risk of developing diabetes in the future. So we have to be more attentive to those people in terms of let's prevent diabetes, let's change your diet, let's exercise. Um, and that's another role. You know, If we are in, a, in an area where there is an abundance of food, but the food is not ideal, well, that's a problem because we're, what we're consuming is also leading us to develop heart disease, maybe at a younger age. So it's a mix of factors. But also, I think uh, one of the reasons is, of course, the poverty level access to healthcare and the race uh, in the south of the United States. Okay. Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought... I always make a joke that we have better food in the South than, you know, I've traveled other places and I could taste the lack of seasoning in, you know, like when I go to New York, I'm like, oh, got to travel with my own Louisiana seasoning. But um, is it that our, when when I think of Black women and Hispanic women, um, both cultures, you know, not I know. So, you know, take it for, for what you want, audience. But, you know, if y'all listen to the show, y'all know I'm 100% honest. Is it that is it that we like to taste our food more? Is it like, what is it specifically if, if we take poverty out of the mix? Is it education? Is it we're not talking about it? Is it the way we season our food? Like, what specifically... Do you think when you look at Black women and Hispanic women that we're at such a, a high risk? You know, food is one, definitely. You know, you probably relate to, you know, if it doesn't take like my mom's cooking is not good, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> but maybe my mom's cooking, although it tastes great, maybe it's not the healthiest for me. And I'm, I never tell anybody, stop eating what you like, but maybe start changing some patterns and practice moderation. Maybe decrease your portions or maybe stop eating, stop cooking with lard and use more oil or more, more healthy fats that you can, you know, it's an adjustment, I understand, but it's something that I can do for myself, you know, for my health. And the other thing is education. And, um, you know, what I've noticed is um, there's also from the patient point of view, sometimes it's hard for people to trust and the doctor physician the patient physician relationship is based on trust if i cannot communicate well to a patient or a patient feels that he or she cannot ask a question then that's a problem there's going to be a block in there in terms of access to communication access to education because when patients do not feel that they can openly ask questions or that they can share some information then i cannot offer the proper care so i would say Go get the information. There are websites out there that are very well respected, like the CDC, the American Heart Association as well. Um, Try to get as much information as you can. Try to share with your doctor as well, because sometimes uh, patients come, they don't know anything. And in a visit, let's say it's a 15-minute visit, you don't have enough time to provide all the education that they need. So it's also a two-way street. Let's provide the education to the patients Let's have the patients also access that information. There's a lot of websites out there that can provide it. And let's start a discussion so that we can, on both sides, bring the information, discuss it, learn. We learn from our patients, our patients learn from us, and then we can improve their health. 80% of these events can be prevented if we take action. 
And that means getting the information and taking action in terms of exercising, changing our dietary habits, losing weight. So the first step would be information. Um, poverty, yes, poverty is a, is a risk factor because if you cannot get to a physician or you cannot get to someone who can educate you, well, you're not going to change many of your behaviors, right? Or you're not going to have access to medications or proper treatment. So if we take that away and we start talking to our family members, we start talking to our patients and patients talking to us, that's a way to improve it without not necessarily changing the poverty level, although I would love for that to change, absolutely. But it's also another way that, another tool that we have to help patients. I think also um, it is people, you know, like, the doctors and the patients meeting in the middle with communication. Cause you know, I'm comfortable to talk to my doctor about anything. Whereas I look, um, maybe my grandmother or maybe my sister or, you know, other people may not be as comfortable or may not understand. And a lot of times people refuse to say like, okay, can you break that down in in English a little bit more? Um, because I don't understand what you're saying. Why, why do you think people have that issue with like, if they don't understand saying, okay, can, can you explain it again? Or what does that mean? Or something like that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, some people feel intimidated at times. And I agree with you. We have to meet in the middle. We have to bring the information in a way that patients understand. It doesn't help anyone if I am here blurting out a textbook with all these medical terms that nobody understands. How am I going to help them, right? My job as a physician is also to help you understand your conditions or your risk factors and tell you one or two things in a short visit. What can you do right now from, the, from this moment so that next time your health is better and then we work on something else? So... There's a lot of cultural um, difference, especially in the South, you know, we're, we're a, mix, a mix of many cultures. And some people have grown believing that it's not in their place to ask mm. or that the doctor may get upset if they ask a question. That is not true. We're here to educate. And if you have a physician and you don't feel comfortable asking a question, then maybe you need to find someone else in whom you can trust and ask the, the proper question so that your health improves. Um, and it doesn't mean that either the patient or the physician is wrong. Sometimes we don't ask because we don't dare with certain people and that's just basic human behavior. Right. Yeah. So I think that meeting in the middle is appropriate. However, make sure that even if your doctor explains it to you, make sure that you understand it, make sure that is realistic for you, for you to apply it. I can tell people, everyone here. You need to stop eating what you're eating and you need to change your, uh, your diet drastically. How realistic is that? It's not going to happen. But if I can tell you, okay, let's decrease your portions without even talking about calories, without talking about macronutrients, micro, none of that. Not, no complicated uh, information. Just let's start working on your portions. Or I told someone, well, right now what's affecting your health more than anything is your blood pressure. These are the things we can do together to help it decrease gradually so that when you come back in next visit, we have better numbers. It may not be that we're perfect, but we're just trending into a better place. That I think has better acceptance by patients, especially the older people who have, they have habits that they've been doing forever. You know, mm -hmm. and this is not funny, funny, not funny, but I had a patient, he was about a 70 year old man who's been smoking all his life. And when I tell him how smoke is affecting his life, he tells me, you know what, sugar, <laughs> you know how in the South they call sugar. <laughs> right. Sugar, I've been smoking all my life and I'm not going to stop. And, you know, I have to accept it. Does it mean I'm going to get upset? Absolutely not. Does it mean I'm going to stop trying? No. I'm going to tell him next time. And next time he's going to tell me he won't stop. But I'm trying to get through him in a way that is not offensive, that is not intimidating, and I would always like to leave the conversation, the, the doors open for conversation, because the more they tell me, the more I learn to treat them and other patients. 
Mm. I know um, my my aunt, whom I love dearly and have tried to force her to eat better because she's already on different types of medication. And um, I know if she had a stress test, Lord only knows. But it's with with her, it's I see definitely some of the eating habits, um, you know, extra seasoning of food, um, soda, soda, soda. (laughs) Right. So, so, okay. So take yourself out of doctor talking to patient and let's do Dr. Corman talking to a family member that you see they're already on a lot of medication and you like, you could visually see what they're doing wrong. Right. How how do you handle that? You know, it's very, um, I, I know it's very difficult because as a physician it's difficult and as a family member it's even worse. And I want to tell you my family, my mother, I mean, you're still the child, right? Right. <laughs> so what do you know? <laughs> so it doesn't change for me. It's the same. But at the same time, because you care about them, you show them that you care about them. Maybe there's one thing I want to change now. You mentioned that she drinks a lot of soda. Yeah. Why don't we sit down? If we're going to have lunch. We're going to have dinner. You know, mom, aunt, grandma, why don't we have water now? Let's have a water. If she doesn't, she says, no, do you want to have a diet soda instead of a regular soda with not only all the, I don't know, preservatives, but also the sugar. Mm. Why don't we have a diet soda just this time, just for this dinner? Little by little, instead of having a headbutt session and instead of having, you know, because it can get ugly with family. um, And then they will never listen to you. They're like, oh, here she comes again, nagging me (laughs) I'm going to hide everything. You don't want them hiding. You want them to feel comfortable and confiding in you. And maybe little by little, you can get to this person and say, okay, at least she's not drinking six sodas a day. She's drinking six, Uh, sorry, three. Because I know people who drink six or more a day. So instead of drinking six, now she's drinking three. And maybe next week, in a couple of weeks, she goes down to two or one. Still a lot. One soda a day is still a lot, but it's better than six a day. The same with, um, with whatever she's doing. If she's not exercising, you know what? Let's go for a walk. Do you want to go for a walk? Well, my back hurts. It's just five minutes. Let's just go for a walk. I just want to talk to you and see you in private. And I just want to enjoy you. Let's just go out. You know, even if she walked five minutes, for someone who's never walking, for someone who's not active at all, five minutes may be a big deal. It's fine. I'm going to take those five minutes today. Next time we're going to go walking again. Maybe five minutes, maybe seven, maybe 10. Who knows if she can do more? I'm sure that as they do more, they will be able to do more. Hmm. And that's what I tell my patients. You know, it's, a, it's not ideal. It's not perfect. But something is better than nothing. However, if I were to go to any family member and telling them, you know, what you're doing is wrong and this is going to kill you. and <laughs> you're, Because this is, isn't that what we say, right? You're, you're not doing anything to help you. They're going to clam up. They're not going to talk to you. They're going to start hiding whatever goodies they have because I know they do it, even though they think I don't. I know they do. Um, and then it's, you're not going to help them. And it's a, it's a balance. It's trying to help them while still preserving the relationship and maybe even getting closer because now they feel that you care about them. Oh, here comes my favorite niece. Valencia's my favorite niece. She cares about me. So I'm going to do this for her, even though she's doing it for herself. She feels that she's, you know, making you happy by doing this. Hey, I'll take that any day. I'm going to try that approach because I've been trying for years and even threatening to drive to her house with a garbage bag um, and just putting everything in there. I've done that. (laughs) But I am the favorite niece and she knows you know, I love her and she needs to be healthy for her grandkids and so on. Um, She even gave up soda for like, I want to say the longest period she gave up soda was like for three weeks. But if anybody has given up soda, especially Coke, those headaches, she was dealing with the, um, you know, like I guess caffeine withdrawal or whatever headaches. 
And she went and, uh, but I'm like, three weeks, you're so close. Yes. You're so close. If she did it once, she can do it again. That's right. the great thing about it. She's already done it. Why don't we try again? And there's again and again. It's like losing weight. You know how many times do people try to lose weight? Mm. But they keep trying. They may gain it back. And some, some people do not gain it back. Some people keep the weight off and they keep a healthier life. Um, so it's a matter of trying, using the techniques that you know help her. If this is a person that you know will not respond to you when you're on the phone, <laughs> yeah, when you're telling them, um, let's find a way that actually helps her. Sometimes leading by example as well. Because if, they, if you're having dinner and she cannot have a soda, but you're having it, well, that, that doesn't help much. Well, one thing I could say, um, definitely, like my family knows and my friends know, if you want soda, like if I'm doing something at the house and you want soda, you have to bring your own. Because I, I gave up soda like uh, seven, eight years ago. And so I don't even keep it in the house. And, you know, certain things, you know, I'm not going to buy. So in in that, you know, way I do set an example because anyone that knows me know, you know, I don't drink soda. But I was going to ask, like, what? Because I, I would say I'm borderline vegetarian. Like, it's a lot of meats I don't eat um that's just over over time I've cut and cut a lot of meat out of my diet so when you look at that aspect of it like do you what do you recommend as far as healthy eating I would say a balanced diet that has okay. all the colors of the rainbow that means all your veggies fruits fruits and vegetables that's high in fruits and vegetables because that's going to give you the amount of fiber that you need, the proper amount of sugar, and the quality of the sugar that your body needs. Um, and also, can you incorporate meats? Absolutely. Well, let's try to go into more of the white meats, the chicken and fish. If we're going to prepare meat, some people I know they don't eat it, but if you're going to eat it, what is the best way? Maybe baked or grilled. Anything that takes that fat away from the actual meat will help you better than eating, let's say, for example, fried chicken. I know people who have a weekly meeting, whether it's at home or church or some groups, and they have to have the fried chicken every, every week. If you know you're going to do that and you know you will not stop, maybe you want to cut back before going to your meeting mm. and, pre- and have some moderation in what you eat. It's not perfect, but it's always a balancing act. Okay, I know I'm going to have a party on Saturday night with my friends or my family members, and I know there's going to be a lot of food. I'm going to um, exercise some moderation before, maybe the day before and that same day. It doesn't mean I'm not going to eat anything because by the time I go there, I'm going to be starving and I'm going to ransack that kitchen, right? Right. I'm going to eat healthier. Let me fill my, fill my plate with more vegetables and salad. I can still have my meat, maybe grilled or baked. And then I'm going to snack healthier. I'm going to have some veggies. I'm going to have some fruit, drink plenty of water because also helps to fill you up and the starving, uh, the cravings, they are tamed down a little. Um, and then when you're going, when you get into the actual event, if you're there, you need to remember, I'm not doing this as a diet. This is a lifestyle change. So this is not one-off. This is for the rest of my life. I want to be healthy when I'm at the, at the party. I'm going to try and select those foods that are actually healthier. Does it mean I'm not going to eat a piece of cake? No. Maybe I'm going to cut it in half after I eat my healthy meal. And instead of having a big piece of cake, maybe let's have half of that. I take a taste. Do you want to eat the whole half piece? You can eat it, but maybe you don't need to because now you're full. And now you say, you know what? I'm, I'm satisfied. I can put this to the side. So it's always a balancing act, trying to find the best ways that work for you individually. And knowing that it's not a diet, it's not a restrictive limitation of what you eat or what you do, it's actually something you can work with throughout every day and then maintain your healthy habits and maintain your health. Mm. I know um, 
Some things were easy for me to to give up meat wise because number one, I never liked getting popped by grease. So I never fried chicken or uh, whatever. Like I don't fry food. Um, not saying I didn't get it elsewhere. but if I had to cook it, it it wasn't going to happen. So now basically, um, chicken and, and Turkey, um, which is an adjustment, especially when, you know, you grew up with the mindset, like Turkey is for Thanksgiving or the holiday time or something. So discovering like ground Turkey and like, there's so many options out there. And I think we have to know to look and really get with the people that you see eating healthier and those things. Cause honestly, I didn't know ground Turkey existed and I'm just being honest um, until I was just so disgusted with ground meat. And I was like, there has to be something else. And I discovered ground Turkey and it wasn't hiding from me. I just wasn't looking for it. Yeah, because if you're if you haven't been exposed to it before, you don't know it exists, right? Sometimes it's just, and like you you mentioned, you have to hang out with people who are actually doing the healthy stuff. So it's the same for people who have other habits. You know, if you're a smoker, you don't want to be hanging, and you're trying to quit. You don't want to hang out with smokers because you're going to get the craving. The same with healthy eating. If you want to actually have significant changes in your lifestyle and in your eating and in your nutrition get the information, hang out with people who are healthier, who are either a personal trainer or people who can educate you, people who are actually doing the healthy eating. Um, And you can even find them online. If you don't have anyone around you in your community, you can go online and start looking for those things that you think will help you get to the next level. Because when, you know, as I mentioned before in that example of a patient I was telling you, when you have been doing something for the past 30, 50, 70 years. That's very hard to change. But it doesn't mean it cannot happen. You know, I, as I mentioned in the, in the beginning, I'm from Puerto Rico. My food is very different from what we eat here in Texas. So I had to adapt some to the food here. You know, I did not know um, iced tea tasted like iced tea <laughs> before I came to Houston, you know, <laughs> because... Because we don't drink that back home. Now, now it's there. Now people know about it. But when I was growing up, I did not know anything about it. And then it was a shock. Okay, well, wow, what is this? You know, <laughs> it's a taste that you need to acquire. You need to learn it. Exactly. You need to acquire it, right? And you adapt and you learn because and, 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 you have to survive. You have to eat something. Yeah. What are the choices that I'm making with what foods I have in here that are going to help me stay healthy? That's what I have to think of. I'm not going to eat what I used to eat at home for, most, for the most part, unless I cook it. And many times, especially when I came here so many years ago, many of the ingredients, they were not found. You could not find them. Now it's more available and I can pretty much 80, 90% cook what we did at home. But still, back then, you know, I had to eat, eat something from what they have. So let me pick what I think is healthier if I'm at a cafeteria in a hospital or if I'm buying my food, um, let me try to get what's healthier. And one thing you mentioned, you know, you have to read the labels, read the labels. There's a lot of hidden stuff in those labels. If you're not going to eat a hundred percent natural, when I say natural, you know, you grab your vegetables and you grab your fruit and you grab your, if it's something that's already prepackaged, prepared, read those labels. Many of these foods that are prepackaged, they have a lot of salt or they have a lot of sugar to make it taste good. If you're a diabetic, that's a problem. So let's try little by little, when we go to the supermarket, when we go buy food, when we order, let's think before we go, don't go on an empty stomach. We always say that, do not go on an empty stomach because you're gonna eat whatever is in front of you and then make a better choice for yourself and your family. So, okay, so two questions. Yes, ma'am. When reading the labels, is it a good rule to follow if you don't know what that ingredient is, don't eat it? Because, you know, like if you read a label 
you recognize some of the words and the other words you're like, what in the heck is this? And everybody doesn't, you know, have time to, to, you know, maybe Google to see what something is or whatever. Like, what do you do if you read a label and it's something you don't recognize on it? Yeah. You know, the main thing I, um, when I'm looking at, um, a label, there's so many, there's so much information in there, right? The first thing you're going to find is the calories and the amount of fat, cholesterol, sodium, all those things, those things you can identify. And then you're going to have uh, a section where it says the amount of vitamins and minerals in there, like calcium, potassium. So those things you identify. What happens when you don't know, let's say they give you a scientific name for a preservative. Mm-hmm. That's, that's concerning because for example, some people are allergic to what I'm just going to throw a name out here, monosodium glutamate, which is a preservative that also has a lot of salt. Mm. You know, if you don't know, I know that, but not many people know that. Not many people know that this is something that, um, it's being put in there. Usually when they give you the ingredients, you can pick at the bottom of the label. If it's something you don't understand, you don't feel comfortable with it. I would not, I would not take it Okay. because I don't know what I'm eating. And now it's time for me to go get some information on this. Usually that happens on the more artificial foods. Let's say, and I'm going to give you a very extreme example, gummy worms, gummy bears. <laughs> I love them. It's road food. Right. <laughs> what do they have? They have sugar, they have water, right? And they have some type of gum because that gum has to actually, um, you know, gives it the consistency or some syrup. And then it has food coloring number, pick your favorite. And then it starts giving you other names of ingredients that you don't know what they are, but you're eating it because Mm -hmm. you like the taste. Should you be eating that? No. No. Even if, let's say, even if those ingredients were not there, the amount of sugar that you're consuming in that serving or that package, because not the amount of the, the package does not necessarily mean that's one serving. That could be three, four, 10 servings in one package. And nobody eats just one gummy bear or gummy worm. Nobody eats just one gummy bear or gummy worm. Nobody eats less likely that people will will eat only one serving and the label is telling you every container has the amount of servings and they'll tell you one serving per container four servings if you eat the the whole package and you have four servings well (laughs) you're getting whatever amount is in there of calories and sugar and all the other stuff so if you're not comfortable with what you're reading i would say don't eat it if you know that you're going to the produce section and you're grabbing an orange, it's an orange. If you're grabbing an apple, it's an apple. If you take uh, lettuce, you know you're getting the vegetables, right? And you're, for your salad, you know what you're eating. If it's something that's more complicated, then if you're not, if you don't not, you cannot identify the ingredients, I would say put it back, read about it, take a note, maybe take a photo with your phone, read about it. And then next time you decide if you want to have it or not. Most likely you won't. That's a... I'm glad that you like cleared that up because a lot of times, because I've been guilty of this. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know what it is, but I really want this or that. Um, So that's interesting. That's a, a step that people could start doing today. Like even going in their kitchen cabinet and seeing, you know, with their foods or whatever, just seeing what they know and what they don't know. My, have you watched What the Health? No. What is oh, that? You, it is, um, it's a documentary. I, it's definitely pro-vegan. So, and I always tell people when you watching stuff like that, know who's making it. Cause of course it's going to be biased towards right. whatever, but uh, what definitely watch it. And I recommend that to all the readers. It's What the Health. And I think it's on either Netflix or Prime Video, but I know for sure you could watch it on YouTube as well. Um, it's roughly like an hour and a half, give or take, but 
it it makes you just look at food a whole different way. Right. Um, so yeah, I can't wait till, you know, once you get a chance to watch it, definitely let me know. Cause it's very interesting. Now I'm intrigued. Now I have yeah. to <laughs> find it's, make time for that. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's definitely talking about, you know, it's food. It's basically, that's what it's about. The food we eat, processing food, all of that kind of stuff. So this, this is my other question. Um, Adding crystal light or a drink mix to water, does it still count as water? Drink, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yes. Okay, so it does. It will still count. I understand. Like, okay. And is it healthy? Okay. Uh, it depends because okay. crystal light is one brand, and. Um, you know, not all these taste enhancers are made the same, right? They're not right. the same brand. Um, again, read the labels. Okay. What are they using to give taste to this water? First of all, does it count as water? Absolutely. If you put it in an eight ounce glass or 12 ounce, whatever ounces, you're still intaking the same amount of water. The problem will not be as much the water. The problem is what you're putting in there to add the flavor. Does this have a lot of sugar? Does this have maybe a substitute of sugar? Could be syrup, could be something else that gives you that taste because people drink these things because usually they don't like water. They don't like to drink water by itself. What I tell people, instead of using these artificial flavorings, can you cut some, some, some fruits and put it in your water? And give it taste naturally with your fruit. Let's say it's orange or lemon or some people like cucumber, mint leaves. Can you instead drink water with some uh, fruit and get the taste from there? Because also remember that the taste has to be concentrated when you're eating, when you're, when you're consuming all these products. It's a concentrated taste. So it's harder for you to drink water because now you're used to the taste. Right. of whatever you put in there. That's definite. That was definitely, um, because when I stopped drinking soda, I was like, okay, I'm going to just add stuff. So I'm drinking water and still getting a good taste. But as I kind of cut back, adding stuff to my water, like drinking water, is like pulling out eyelash hairs sometimes, you right. know, um, but I had to, one thing I noticed about me, and I know for everybody is different, I do better with room temperature water than cold water. Right. So yeah, there, if it's cold or room temperature, it doesn't make a difference in terms of your health. Um, and I know some people who cannot drink cold water because it, it gives them a reaction. Um, especially some patients on chemotherapy, they are not tolerate they don't tolerate tolerate it well um but it's not it doesn't mean that it's bad for you it's just how they react to it or how we like it it's a matter of preference many times i think that um even though crystal light and i don't want to throw them under the bus but any of this enhanced flavor enhancers or flavor um you know substances they have they don't have sugar they may say they don't have sugar, but they have aspartame, which, which mm. is a substitute. It's an artificial sweetener. So if we're trying to stay away from preservatives and artificial ingredients, the best way to, would be to use something natural like a fruit or um, try to drink more water that doesn't have all these other components. Because also, as I was discussing the reading the labels, read what side effects you may get from these ingredients. Mm. you know if there's anything have you noticed anything have you noticed that you're getting headaches have you noticed that you get any other uh symptoms and some people don't even drink water this is interesting some people don't drink water they drink either lots of sodas or um energy drinks to stay awake well when you're drinking energy drinks you may have a risk of um, arrhythmias palpitations rapid heartbeat and we see this commonly. So try to stick with water. Try to stick with the more natural um, 
drinks if you can. Perfect. So just when I thought I was doing great, I'm doing good. Always a work in progress. (laughs) Always a work in progress. No one's perfect. Because I'm I'm trying to live to to um 127. So in good uh, health, right? <laughs> right. Cause who wants to be old and you know older and sickly? Like I want to still, you know, take care of my inside as well as my outside. Absolutely. So Dr. Corman, you have huh, given me so much to think about. So what is like one thing if if the audience only takes like one thing from this interview and I love to give homework after each session what is one thing that they can do this week going forward for their heart health watch what you eat eat in moderation and incorporate more fruits and vegetables in your diet perfect i can handle I can handle those. <laughs> Good. <laughs> How can the audience uh, get in touch with you and connect with you? Easiest way would be through my website, and it's drlandrau.com, and it's D-R-L-A-N-D-R-A-U.com. Awesome. And do you have anything coming up that you would like the audience to know? I have um, a few interviews um, for podcasts and online to spread a message of heart disease and heart health. And I have some conferences coming um, the second half of the year as well. So I like to think that the year's still starting because I'm still getting calls. So we're still in the in the talks about that. Yay! And you guys just definitely connect to Dr. Corman at her website. Thanks for listening to Define You Radio. Make sure you connect with the show at www.defineuradio.com. Pins and papers down. Class dismissed.